morning, everyone. I'm just looking around. It's good to, to see you all, and uh, it is good to be back. Um, had another uh, fortune wedding, so we're getting down to where uh, we may not have that many more in a family of 10, but uh, it was good. Uh, I also want to just make note that Gene uh, and Marla, who are uh, at Clearwater College now in Alberta, we spent some days with them and had just a really rich time with them at the beginning of our trip, and they send their love to our church. And um, yeah, it was just, it was really great, again, once again, to just connect with them, and, and even in a deeper way. So, um, and they, he wanted me to mention that uh, for our church, that I really do love this body and our salt and light family. All right, so we're, we're back, um, so to speak, this morning in Presence, Formation, Witness, our series. Um, I know that we had sort of a, a time last week that was a sharing time with that, and, and I was able to watch that, and that was really good. So thank you to those of you who were part of that, and, and Dwayne for, for leading that. That was really good. So we're going to kind of go back into this. Um, we, we've been talking about... Uh, those three words, and we haven't really gotten to witness yet at all, but we've been talking about presence and formation, and we were talking about how we've, we're made to be pursuing God's presence and, and to be carriers of his presence, and we, we need and want his presence in our lives and in the church, and how we're, we're shaped by formation in our lives, and, and this whole thing of given to the practice of being formed into the image of Jesus, and how we're also, we're, we're, and we're going to get to this yet, we're how we're defined by witness, how every single one of us, being a follower of Jesus, we are called to be living on mission for the kingdom of heaven. And so we're, we're focusing right now on what this thing of formation looks like in our lives. And I, and I hope that you're getting a little bit maybe of a, a bigger picture or a little bit of a, a deeper understanding of when you hear formation now, like what is formation for my life when it when it comes to following Jesus but this process of being becoming more like Jesus and and so we we looked at the problem of sin over a couple weeks and and how formation helps us to combat this ongoing issue of sin in our lives that we all deal with we looked at what it means to follow the way of Jesus like what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus a Talmudim of Jesus an apprentice, if you will, that's learning under his way. And what does that look like to be consistently growing in being that apprentice? And I think that one of the biggest takeaways from all this for us is that formation is happening in you. The, the very fact that um, it's, it's happening simply by you getting up and breathing, you're being formed. So what we do or do not do in our lives is forming you. And so, being, and, and because that's the case, being formed into the image of Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, there's an intentionality to that that has to happen in our lives. It doesn't just happen by default. I was, I was listening to a message this past week uh, from John Tyson. Uh, he pastors a church in New York City. And he was kind of doing a vision talk for their church, but he was talking about how the need, we need to clarify formation in these days as counterformation that actually formation into the way of Jesus is counterformation to the ways of the world because without it the world will pull us away from becoming like Jesus and so we have to have intentionality otherwise the world will be shaping us into its image and I thought man that's so good I, I need to hear that 
And so asking ourselves the question always, what am I becoming? By, by what I'm doing or by what I'm not doing, what am I becoming? Am I growing in being an apprentice to Jesus? Am I, am I following his way? Am I living for his kingdom amidst a culture that seeks to form me into something very, very different from that? You know, I was, I was, um, we, we spent a week in Kelowna during our trip with Jess's parents. They just moved to Kelowna. So uh, we'd never really spent any length of time in Kelowna before. So we were there for a week and we took a drive up to one of the ridges that overlooks the city. Just an incredible view when you get up there. In fact, it's hard to even find on the map how to get up there. And you get up there and there's a gated community. You can't even go in it. I'm like, okay, this is rich. Um, but, but the houses there like are just phenomenal. Like you're like, this is crazy. And, and Kelowna as a whole, you're like, the wealth there is extreme. And, and the wealth and the affluence of the whole city is very apparent. And, and there's lots of beauty to appreciate, tons of it to appreciate. But I found, I, I began to realize that there is this inclination in my heart as I'm there, just, just appreciating this, but there's this inclination that I begin to envy I begin to compare, I begin to covet what I do not have. And it was like, and, and, it's, and, then I be, and then but then I have to remind myself, Paul, that is the pursuit of that which will not satisfy you. It's, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere in our culture, and it's very prevalent. And sometimes, you know, we, there's things that happen where we realize it more inten- in, you know, intensely, but it's there. So, a crucial part of formation is the practice of it in our lives. Would you agree that you have to practice formation? It doesn't just happen. And so there's application to this. There's this growing these spiritual disciplines or habits, if you will, in our lives. We looked at this a few weeks ago. We looked at this in relation to the importance of the Word of God in our lives, being fed, nourished, and shaped by the word of God. And you know, I, like, I, I cannot imagine navigating this life, navigating this culture right now without the word of God shaping me. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine what that would be like, the confusion that I would have if I didn't have that in my life. Part, part of the habit, though, of being in the scriptures in our lives involves engaging our hearts. You can't actually be involved in the scriptures without engaging your heart and allowing God's word to permeate. Okay, what's happening inside of me? Where the word speaks personally and intimately into your life. Where we're creating time and space to examine and feel what's happening inside of me. What's going on inside of me? Inviting God to speak his truth into our lives so that it's engaging our hearts, that it's, there's, there's something that's happening within us. Now, and, and, okay, so saying all that, we come from different areas on this, on the spectrum within the church. So like some of you probably come like me, you come from a more charismatic Pentecostal background and you're like, look, we need more of the spirit we need more of the outpouring. We need more revival. We need more Holy Spirit fire. Like we just, we need that, right? 
Some of you are like, you're like, I'm right there. I know some of you are nodding, you're like, I am totally there. And I'm like, yes. Like, I'm right there right now. Yes, we need an outpouring of the Spirit. And I want that. I really do. But some of you might be from more conservative circles, or you tend to be more comfortable with that, and you're like, look, Paul, we need to know the Word. We need to be discipled. We need to be growing in the Word. And I'm like, yes. Yes, we do. We need that as well. We equally need that. We need substance. We need truth. And so I, I, I feel like we need to, and I believe we need to fuse those two things together, seeking the transformation of hearts, this deep work of formation in our lives. And I, I believe that, the fusing of those things together, where we are growing in wanting more and more of God's presence, but we are growing in wanting more of the truth, more of his word, being led and to follow the way of Jesus, that is the gateway into encounters with God. He desires to take you deeper. And he wants to be working deep transformation in you. And so, in that, the need to talk about the heart, what's going on inside of us, is crucial in, in this whole realm. So I want to talk this morning about the heart of the matter. The need to engage our hearts with God. Inviting God through his word, through his spirit, to be working and reveal, revealing what's happening in our hearts. Where he's inviting us to seek his healing and transformation for our lives. So, you know, starting a road trip at 4 a.m., that's how we left here. When we left, we started our road trip at 4 a.m., had everyone up, thought everyone would sleep in the van. That didn't happen. Um, 16 hours straight of driving gives you lots of time to think and process and listen to the Lord. And there's actually, it's, I find it's really good to at times just be able to decompress in that amidst, yes, let's be honest, there's always craziness in a vehicle when you're taking kids on that long of a road trip. Let's be really honest about that. But there is time to just think and hear from the Lord. And, and I, was, I was contemplating, I found myself contemplating the six months prior to us leaving, that since everything that's happened with, with this COVID and just the shift that we've all experienced and the trauma and the weariness of everything that we're walking through and continue to walk through. And it's, it's something that is hitting all of us in different ways. And, and I was also, I was, I was contemplating some significant turmoil that's been going on in our extended family that we were about to enter into on our trip. Some of you know about that. We shared that with some of you. Stuff that, that we've been brought into that we're in the middle of but have no control over. And so we were, we were kind of, we were going into all of that. And I was just thinking about that and inviting the Lord to speak to me. And, and I was thinking about what was going on in my heart. Like, like, how is my heart doing? What am I feeling? What are the things, the emotions that are coming up inside of me? What am I carrying? What am I processing? And the thought that the Holy Spirit once again put before me, and I, I just, like, I, I felt it with such clarity and such simplicity was, Paul, everything that you're walking through, what is this revealing about your heart to you? What are you finding in your heart through this time, through everything that's been going on? Because I don't want to, whatever's going on here, and however this is going to shift and change culture and society, 
I don't want to come out of this not having really significantly engaged my heart and understanding what God is wanting to do in me. I want to I block out just the multitude of outside noise and forces, and there's tons of it right now that we are, that's coming at us. And I want to I be hearing, God, what do you want to reveal in me that you desire to transform for lasting change? Because there's stuff in me he wants to do. There's stuff in you that he wants to do through this time that is significant. And it starts with our hearts. So I want to I spend a few minutes this morning. I want to look at an encounter um, that Jesus had in the New Testament where he speaks very specifically to the heart. But I want to first begin looking at some context in the Old Testament where when it comes to the heart. Because Jesus came to reveal... Oh, all of a sudden there was a, do you hear that? I don't know. Am I, can you hear me now? Is that okay? Okay, that was weird. What's going on with our sound guy? <laughs> but I, I want to first look at uh, this Old Testament because Jesus came to reveal the heart of God for us. Amen? Jesus came to reveal the heart of God and he came to reveal the ways of God to us. And so he is, he, is the, he is the very manifestation of God, the Word of God made flesh. So I want to look at what it says there in the book of Deuteronomy specifically. And the book of Deuteronomy, it's really interesting. It's a phenomenal book. It's sort of a synopsis, of you will, up to that point of the journey of God's people from Egypt into the wilderness. And they were on the cusp of taking the promised land. And Moses sort of begins to... Um, it's sort of a summary by Moses, if you will, of, of what everything that's happened and interspersed with this summary of where God has led his people is a lot of God sharing his heart and his expectations and desires for his people when they enter into the land and how he desires for them to live with him. And, and in Deuteronomy, God speaks a ton about the heart. Like when you go through the book of Deuteronomy, it's, it's shocking how much there is in that book about the heart and what's going on in our hearts. The importance of our hearts and how it directs us and how it, it actually our hearts um, determine the outcome of the lives of the lives of his people. Dallas Willard says this. He says, The heart is precisely what God observes and addresses in human beings. He cares little or nothing for outward show. He responds to the heart because it is above all who we are, who we choose and have chosen to be. So I want to I talk first. I want to just uh, quickly draw three heart remedies, if you will, from the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, so first, I'm going to jump around a little bit at the beginning of Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy 4 is where we're going we're gonna to just land here for a few minutes. Deuteronomy 4 begins with the command to listen, that you may live, that you may go and take possession of the land that the Lord is giving you. So God says, look, I want you to take this land. I want you to live in it. I want you to, to have success in this land. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. And when it, when it comes to receiving this for our lives and the life of the church, I believe that we can receive this as 
God has specific plans. He has specific purposes and specific places that he wants to move us into as the body. He wants to take us places. And so we need to be listening. As, as God's people, this is to be at the forefront of our approach to life. Where, where does God seek to take you? Where does God seek to take us? Where does he desire to move us? And so in, in, in this, Deuteronomy that 4 then warns of the temptation to unbelief, leading to idolatry and, and where the people begin to seek replacement and counterfeit gods. And, and it speaks there of the danger of forgetting the covenant that God has with his people. Like, I have a covenant with you. Don't forget this covenant. And so it urges us here to keep your soul diligently because we are prone to forget God and what he has done. He's saying, Moses says, don't allow this, what God has done, don't allow this to depart from your soul and from your heart. Remember what God has done. It speaks of God as a consuming fire there in, in Deuteronomy 4, and it points us to Hebrews 12, where the writer of Hebrews quotes that verse, and, and the Hebrews, Hebrews 12 directs it and aligns it with worship in our lives. And then in that, in that chapter, Moses actually prophetically points to the exile that will come. Now, at the time, the people are probably like, what are you talking about? But we see now in hindsight that he was looking at the exile where God was going to allow the Babylonians to come in and take over the people. And, and they were driven from the land, driven from the land that God had given them because of sin and disobedience. And it's a consequence here that God warns them against. And, and you, you read this and you go, you know, it could have been avoided. If the people had listened to what the Lord was saying, it could have been avoided. Spiritual decline is dangerous in the life of the church. When, when spiritual decline is happening and we don't think it's a big deal, God says, no, it's actually, it's a really big deal. It's very dangerous. But then verse 29 there in Deuteronomy 4 says, but from there, so you're, they're in exile. He's looking forward to many years where they're in exile. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. It says in verse 39, it goes on, it says that remind your heart who, that God is in heaven. Remind, remind your heart of who is over all things. Don't forget that. There is no other, it says there. It's, it, it points us to this eternal perspective in all things. Why? Why, why, would, why would God do that? Well, he knows. He knew his people. He knows our hearts, that they're fickle, that they're prone to become consumed with all manner of other things. And he's saying, guard yourself. That's to come there. But the direction of our hearts and what we pursue is of the utmost importance. So number two, the second remedy we find in Deuteronomy is to guard your heart. Deuteron and, and I'm going to fast forward here to Deuteronomy 8 for us. I know I'm just doing a very quick overview here. But Deuteronomy 8 calls us to remembrance, to not forget what God has taken us from and where he's bringing us to. 
Now, when you think about that, you know, what God has done in your lives, where he's bringing you, what he's brought you from, I think for the most part, we think about that in a very positive light. We, we look at that in a very positive view of what God's done in our lives, and we, we kind of maybe wax romantically about that. And it's not, not that that's wrong, and, you know, kind of where he's met us, where we've experienced him. Deuteronomy 8 is a bit of a different spin here. God says to his people, he says, remember the wilderness. I want you to remember your 40 years of wandering. 40 years of wandering because of your disobedience. You know, you know how you could like sum up what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness? It sucked. It sucked really, really bad. And it was because of their disobedience. And God says, I want you to remember this. I want, he says, I want you to remember where I humbled you and tested what was in your heart. He says, whether or not you would follow me. Really? You want us to remember that? God says, yeah, I want you to remember what you've walked through. God will bring us to, or he will allow us to enter into, or leave us in difficult seasons to bring us to where we need to be. I, I see this as we're not meant to skirt past difficult seasons or try to like avoid them or try to like, ra- like rationalize them. We're actually meant to be in them, to go, God, where do you want to take us? They serve to identify things in us that need transformation. He had to leave his people in the wilderness because they needed to walk through very specific things that were happening in their hearts. What is God speaking to us right now in this particular climate that he has allowed us to enter into and he's leaving us in right now? What does he want to say to us? Because we're prone to forget. Moses says, look, life progresses. Pressures, plans, and passions begin to take over. And he says, when you are brought into good things... Comfort, wealth, provision. He speaks of all those things here in Deuteronomy 8 where we, where we lack nothing, where we eat, we're full. The good life. God says, take care not to forget where you've been. The temptation and the danger is, and the, we see this lived out in the lives of God's people all throughout the Old Testament. The temptation, the inclination is to forget God. Our hearts being fed by what we've attained. It says there, because of the inclination of your heart, the, the inclination to go, I've achieved this. It's my hard work. It's my accomplishments. It's my resources. It's my effort. God says it's the delusion of self-sufficiency. I've brought you here. Take care not to forget what I've done in you. God, he's, he's really clear with his people. He says, if, if that's the way you go, that all leads to death when you ignore the voice of God. Third remedy for our hearts. So we are to pursue God with all of our hearts. We're to guard our hearts. And Deuteronomy 10 talks about us surrendering our hearts. Deuteronomy 10, 12. It's really interesting there where it says, And now, 
Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does God require of us? What does, he, what does he want from his people? He says, he wants us to fear the Lord, reverence, submission, worship. He wants us to walk in his ways. He wants us to love God. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And he wants us to serve him, serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with every fiber of your being. We are to serve God. It, was, it says there in verse 15, it was the Lord who set his love on the people of Israel. It wasn't them. It wasn't what they did. It was the Lord. It was his plan. It was his doing. It was his initiative. That's the gospel. That is the gospel right there. You were dead in your sins. But God, because of his great mercy, even when you were dead, he brought you from death into life. Everything, everything, everything was God's initiative and his doing and his plan. And the response, God says, is I want you to walk in my ways. Verse 16 talks there uh, briefly about circumcision. Circumcision was the physical distinction for God's people. But here he says it was to point to the spiritual distinction that he longed for his people. It says the circumcision of the heart. Hearts that are different. Why are they different? Because we serve and we walk with the Lord. Yielded, surrendered hearts to the Lord. So, now you fast forward to Jesus' time on earth and God's people, they've, they've taken this covenant that God gave them and this law and they've turned it into this maze of religious observances that ignore the, the very thing that God focused on all throughout the law. All through the law, God was focusing on, where's your heart? How's your heart? Take guard, watch your heart, surrender your heart. And then the, the New Testament, we get to that, and, and the religious leaders, there's just this, this weird maze of religious rules and like tons of them that guide the people. And so Jesus comes on the scene in this, and Mark 7, there's this issue that arises over some of Jesus' disciples not washing their hands. Now, hear me, this was not a sanitization issue. This was not a, your hands aren't being cleaned, you need to go and wash them before you eat, look, they're dirty. No, it, was, it wasn't that. It was this weird, uh, very extreme uh, washing ritual that signified spiritual cleanliness. And they had to do this whole elaborate thing with their hands that would show, oh, okay, now you're clean. And Jesus' disciples didn't do it. And that was a bi like big, big, big deal at that point. Like, I'll, and I'll, I'll just show you how it was such a big deal. The, the oral law that was passed down by the rabbis was actually at the time more honored than the written law. Can you believe that? Like the oral law of the rabbis of the time, they held that in greater standard than God's written law. It was a tragic, tragic example of man-made religion taking precedence. And I'm so glad that no longer exists anywhere. Right? It's a danger for all of us, for every single one of us. The Mishnah was a, a part of the, 
uh, the Talmud, and it was the Jewish um, traditions that were listed in the Talmud, and it said this in there. It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbi than to contradict scripture itself. What? And they they also said this. There is more in the words of the scribes than the words of the law. As in you better listen to what the scribes say. Says, it also said this, those who eat with unwashed hands sin as much as he who sleeps with a prostitute. It was a big, big, big deal that the disciples were not washing their hands. And so Jesus is confronted over this, what's going on. And so this is what he says. He gets right to the issue with them. This is, you can tell why some of them didn't like him. He said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Whoa. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, the command, or teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's exactly what they were doing. It's exactly what they were telling everyone to do. And Jesus, he says, look, At the crux of everything is your affection in your heart for the things of God. That's where it gets down to. When our beliefs, when our religious observances, when our life philosophies begin to hold more to the things of this earth than God's commandments, Jesus says you are in deep trouble. And so Jesus, he gives an example there that maybe we're going like, what's this all about? It's very culturally relevant at the time where a man who's supposed to honor his father and his mother, he claims a rabbinical tradition to get out of this responsibility to take care of his parents. And Jesus is saying, you've got it all mixed up. Like that's not the heart of God. And so Jesus really locks in here with focus. He says the the heart of the matter is the heart. The condition of our hearts as it pertains to obedience to the Lord and his ways is where it's at. And so then Jesus, he provides another culturally relevant example. He says this, this issue of food laws and eating something that will make you unclean before God because you've digested this food item. He says, look, he says that, that's not the issue. And Mark says, okay, for those of you that aren't Jewish, good news. He says in brackets, this, by this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So it's like, whew, that's awesome for us, right? But Jesus is saying, look, the issue is not what you eat. The issue is your heart. And this is what he says. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can follow with me. Mark 7, I'm just going to read three verses here. This is what he says in response. Verse 20, Mark 7. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What really matters, Jesus says here, is what's happening in our hearts. 
Jesus flips the whole issue around. The whole issue that was brought to him, he's saying that that's not the issue, guys. The issue is what's going on in here. The issue is what's happening inside of us and how it impacts our relationship with God and how it impacts our relationship with others. Because the list that Jesus reads there, it's not just about sinning against God, it's about sinning against others as well. Matthew 9, there's the story of, and it's found in, the other, in other Gospels too, but the story of the paralytic brought to Jesus by his friends. And Jesus first says this, when this man's brought to him, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's obviously to the religious leaders, that's blasphemous. Like, who are you to forgive sins? Only God can do that. Jesus is making a very clear statement there. And of course, we know that he, he goes on to heal the man to prove that I have power to take away sins and to heal him. But in the midst of that, so the religious leaders are like, what, 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 how dare you? What are you doing? And Jesus, it says that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus makes a direct correlation between what's happening in our hearts and our thoughts. They're not separate like we're programmed to believe. We are ra- we, the, what we're programmed to believe in this society is that we are rational beings who we pursue truth and justice with total object, objectivity. Like, you, you, you can pursue truth and you can be totally objective about it. That's a total fallacy. Jesus says, like, your thoughts and your heart are intricately connected. Our hearts drive our thoughts, our decisions, and our actions. What's happening in our hearts plays out in our minds and manifests itself in our behavior and our life choices. That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus is he's living amidst a culture that, that the whole issue that's brought to him about unwashed hands He's living amidst a culture, and this is interesting given where we're at right now, where they saw sin as a type of germ. Sin was sort of like this germ that you could simply get by coming into contact with the wrong people. So if you came into contact with the wrong person, uh uh-oh, now you've got sin on yourself. Now you've got to do this whole ritual thing to get rid of the sin that you came in contact with. And it was this, so it made this ritual cleanliness, this obsession for everyone. And we live amidst a culture that has largely eliminated any real belief that sin even exists. Just go out, just talk to 10 people this week about what they think about sin, and you will find out that largely people don't even think it's something that we need to worry about. Like a belief system that claims that we have an an inherent problem within ourselves that's terminal and requires salvation, people... What are you talking about? There's denial, there's rejection, and there's, there's even militant opposition at times to that. But it's interesting what Jesus is in and where we're at, that both cultures actually share a similarity, where outward appearance and image was of the utmost importance. The need to look good is a similarity between where Jesus was and where we're at now. And, and so in this, Jesus presents sin as a very different problem. 
He says, no, no, sin is not like a germ. Sin is like an invasive cancer in your body that is going to destroy you and is terminal and you need radical, radical surgery. You need spiritual surgery within yourself. Jesus was and is concerned with the transformation of our hearts because it leads to the transformation of our lives. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is part of this. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is about being renewed. It's about change. The life of Jesus transforming our very natures. And I think, honestly, folks, I think we need to think about that. Do you actually believe that transformation is possible? Because I think that we hit things in our lives and in our hearts where we struggle with things and we can struggle with things for so long that we can get to a place of believing in ourselves like, I don't actually know that transformation is possible. And I think that, that hinge, because that hinge changes the gospel for us. Do you believe that Jesus has the power right now to save you from, not just to save you from your past sins, but to be transforming you in the here and now to make you more like him? That's a huge, huge question to wrestle with. So what about the heart today? What about the heart in 21st century Western society? What, what are we told what are we kind of immersed in? Well, one thing would be we're told to follow our hearts, meaning your wills, your desires, your ambitions, whatever you want, follow it. Make your life center around that. Second thing that we're told lots is listen to your heart. What does your heart tell you? Just listen to your heart. Be led by your heart. This is dangerous if our hearts are not being shaped by the word of God. It can lead us in all direction of uh, different motivations, different paths. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I, what I take from that is, Apart from Christ, our hearts are extremely susceptible to deception. If I don't have Christ working in me, I dare not trust my heart. And I think this is unsettling truth. Like, what do we do with this? Because I think a little introspection of our hearts, and we know that what Jesus spoke there in Mark 7 is absolute truth. That what he says there, what comes out of the heart, is a little bit of searching what's going on inside of us. And we go, yeah, yeah, that's me. I, I'm, I'm there. Maybe not all of it. Hopefully not all of it. Right? But there's things there that, that we can identify with. And the answer is to all this, what do we do with this? Is our only hope is Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. We need his power. We need his healing. We need his forgiveness in our lives. And it is complete. As the psalmist says in Psalm 73, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Love that verse.
God is the strength of my heart, not me, God. 1 John 3, 19 and 20 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. You want to reassure your heart before the Lord? You want to be reassured in the gospel? For whenever our heart condemns us, John says, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. I, I take that to mean my heart is going to seek to deceive me in life. There's times where my heart will not know where I need to go. It's going to seek to undermine me. My hope is in Jesus. And I need to remind myself of the truth spoken of in his word. I need to fill myself with what his word says. Because following his way is the way to freedom. So, being intentional about examining ourselves, what is happening in our hearts is imperative as part of spiritual formation. If you're going to walk down the road of spiritual formation, you've got to be examining your heart. What's going on? This is where spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits, however you want to refer to them, in our lives, they're a gift to us because they make room for the word, they make room for the spirit to be working in us to work transformatively in our lives and in our hearts. So I want to I leave you with some application for this week for your time for the Lord as, as Jen comes up. I want to just give you uh, five different things that out of Mark 7 here that you can do. First is do a bit of heart inventory this week for yourself. Just you and the Lord asking yourself very simply, how is my heart? How is my heart doing? Second thing you can ask yourself is, where do I have anger and frustration residing in my heart? And, you know, I thought there's five things here. Maybe you want to take, like, one for each day of the week. I don't know if that's something that can be helpful. But uh, third is, where is there undealt with unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart? Work that through with the Lord. Fourth is, is how is ask yourself, how is my thought life? Jesus, it's in that talking about the heart, he includes our thoughts originating in our hearts. And I thought about this and I thought, what would I, what do I think about that I would be utterly embarrassed if it was revealed to others? That's a bit of an uncomfortable question. But again, putting just you and the Lord how is my thought life? And number five, just from the list there in Mark 7 of the things that come out of the heart, which of those things are applying, apply to me right now? Where are those things that Jesus is talking about that I need to work through with the Lord? Now, I want to encourage you as you do this. As you do that, this can be hard. This can be difficult. This can bring up uncomfortable feelings in us. This can lead us to have to really be vulnerable before the Lord. Remind yourself of the truth of 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, the next verse is great. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All of it. There's nothing that God cannot cleanse you from. Nothing. And it's great to remind ourselves of that. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you, you care so deeply and so intimately for us as your people. And you, you call us to yourself. You call us to walk in relationship with you. And you desire that we would be looking at our hearts and what's happening in our hearts and that we would be receiving the healing and the wholeness that you have planned for us. And we, we want to say yes and amen to all of that. We want to receive everything that you have for us because you are a loving and gracious and merciful Father. You're so patient with us as your children and we are so thankful. Holy Spirit, I want to pray this week as we think about this and as we engage our hearts with you, that you would meet us in that place. And Holy Spirit, that we would have intimate fellowship with you and with Jesus and the Father. We would receive your spirit and your presence and your healing for us. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you for the gift of the spiritual disciplines in our lives and what they do to draw us closer to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name.